does not like to tell people about his visions. And he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Henry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery as we continue to go through the Bible. You know, 2 Corinthians 12 is interesting. We'll talk about it in a minute, but Corey is here to talk with Ryan and tell us what they're doing. All right, well, we're wrapping up our study in 1 and 2 Corinthians today. So we're gonna take another look at the city of Corinth. Ryan? Today, I'm gonna be talking about Paul's risky window escape from Damascus as recorded in Acts chapter nine and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting one. Janice, what'd you do? Paul's love of the church, but also some warnings to her. All right, so this is what we're talking about today. Very interesting. 2 Corinthians is a follow-up letter to first. It's very interesting. And as we study this, get your Bible guide out and let's make notes because God is speaking to us today through the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Second Corinthians 10 to 13, as we continue going through the Bible this year. And it is excellent. We are coming down on those last phases of the New Testament. It's going to be very, very interesting as we grow closer to Revelation. Now, Paul was a man who had great strength. However, he understood that it was not a strength that originated from him, but was the power of God in him. 
now. Paul speaks to the church at Corinth and to us also that to be mighty and to be strong in the Lord is to be meek, weak in the flesh. Now, many in today's culture are attempting to be strong in every way, strong in themselves. I used to work out with weights, then I got older. To the Christian, however, strength comes from God. To be strong is to understand how really weak we are without God. It is possible for us who are weak in mind or intellect to have the mind of Christ. The recent pandemic has been a distraction to so many of us. We've had to act differently in public places, changing our very lifestyles. Wait a minute. What if we apply this to the mind of Christ? How does God want us to live and change in our lives now? If we take time to listen, time to listen to God's Holy Spirit, we will help, He will help us change our lives and our lifestyles for the better. Now, we don't take much time to listen right now, do we? We should. We should do that. And today we are going to take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. This is very interesting. As we focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're reading a very personal part of the story of Paul. And uh, if you don't have your Bible guide, why not? Write to us or call us and get yours sent to you. Or you can go to Bible Discovery TV and literally in 30 seconds you can be with us however long it takes you to download that. It's on the PDF files. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name as we study this passage that you would reveal to us what you've said to Paul. You know, we don't need to be wrapped up and tied up in what we think the scripture says when we know the scripture speaks to us. I pray today that your word would speak to people that they would hear what you've said. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Now, now look at this. This is very interesting, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Hmm. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one, he was caught up in the third heaven. Wow, that's the heaven of God. Verse 3, and I know such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not even lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Oh, man, this is incredible. You see, Paul is hesitant to tell others about his vision. Paul's talking about himself. 
Paul's intent is not to boast of himself, but to tell the truth, bringing all glory and honor to God. Now, you know people, and there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, I just say I'm great because I need to be great. And by the way, I'm great. And if you don't think so, I'm great. But that's not what God says for us to do. God says for us in James 4 to bow down before him and let him lift us up, beloved. God will lift us up. We need Christ-esteem, not self-esteem. Very important that we get that today. And as we hear what Paul is saying, there's more to what he said. Listen to this, chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What? Yes a messenger of Satan to be buffed, to buff me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse nine. And he said to me, God said to me, my grace, there's that word again. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can you believe that? The power of Christ is so much stronger than we are when we remain humble in humble submission to his grace. You see, that's how the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us when we remember who we are. When we remember who God is. And we remember what that means, that Jesus Christ came between us, beloved, to bridge the gap, to restore us to God. That's what it means. The Holy Spirit then lives in us again. Wow. Look at this. The last verse. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Paul says that when we are weak, it is then that the power of Christ can be strong in us. When we are weak, the power of Christ can be strong in us. The mind of Christ is not simple. It is supernatural. The mind of Christ is not some brilliant mind that walks around quoting all kinds of, you know, wisdom about this and wisdom about that. It could. No problem. God can do anything and say anything, no problem. But God chooses the simple to make the wise confounded. God chooses those who become weak to make the strong weak. God chooses us, beloved, as we become Christians. We become people who get closer to God. And as we get closer to God, the more we realize that what we want to do, we want to do my way, my way, my way, my way. That's not how it works. We begin to say, God, what's, what's your way? I need to do things your way. Lord, I need to follow you. I need you to be Lord of my life. I need to be submissive. There's the S word, submissive to you. That's the word that we need to remember. We submit to God and listen to his word and hear what he says. Everybody in the world should hear that. Help us, Lord, today to know what that means to be submissive to your will. 
In Jesus' name, we yield to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. So as we finish up our study in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, I wanted to go back once again and take a look at the history and the archaeology of the city of Corinth. I mean, it was really well known in the Roman Empire and it was really well known to Paul. He spent a significant amount of time living in this city and that's reflected both in 1st and 2nd uh, Corinthians. So let's take a look at the ancient city of Corinth. Corinth was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire and carried a notorious reputation of corrupt morality and hedonistic lifestyles. It's no surprise then that after the Apostle Paul's foundational visit to Corinth, that the Bible contains two of his letters to Corinth and mentions two more. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, we have reference to a letter that Paul had already written to the Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, we see reference to another letter that Paul wrote in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. Clearly, Paul was having to deal with many issues as the converted Corinthian Christians learned to live out their faith in their corrupt culture. 2 Corinthians also indicates that Paul made three visits to Corinth. The book of Acts records Paul's two main trips. First, his foundational year and a half long visit preaching the gospel and helping the new converts establish a body of believers. And his final visit after the book of 2 Corinthians. The second visit then alluded to in 2 Corinthians would have fit in between the visits of Acts and is described as painful and changing Paul's plans to visit once more. We don't know very much about Paul's first letter to the Corinthians except that it dealt with sexual sin and proper conduct for Christians. The book of 1 Corinthians deals with many lifestyle issues as well. Paul deals with divisions in the church, prideful leaders. He deals with sexual sin and lawsuits that had crept into the church. And he also responds to a letter that the Corinthians had written to him. His third letter is also not included in the New Testament. We can deduce from 2 Corinthians that it was extremely unpleasant and dealt with disciplining someone who had directly opposed Paul. 2 Corinthians then picks this issue back up and urges the church to accept and forgive the man as he has properly responded to discipline. The rest of 2 Corinthians seems to be a defense of Paul's ministry and a condemnation of false teachers. All in all, the picture that develops is one of a Christian group struggling to follow Christ, pushing towards the goal of not following their old culture, but following God's. So there we go, a little bit of context, both physically and culturally when it comes to ancient Corinth. Um, a lot more, honestly, I know I say this a lot, but there, there is so much more that can be said about the cultural context that Paul, you know, would have known and specifically spoke to with the Corinthian church, but we will get there as we continue to study. And I think it's Testament. important to remember that if they go to the website, that we have a lot of these pieces there and we have some more yes, information. So. Uh, BibleDiscoveryTV.com has much about this and uh, you know on television we can only go so far because 
we have a limited time. But anyway, that's that's very good. And also quickly, tell us about November 26th. Yes, this Friday we are hosting a free live event. We're calling it Prayer, Worship, and Warfare. So we're talking about prayer, worship, and warfare from a biblical perspective and uh, from a current Christian perspective as well. It's from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, please join us on our Bible Discovery TV YouTube uh, channel or our Facebook page where we will be going live. We will be interacting with you, us four, uh, here in the studio. We'll be taking your questions and some of your comments as well. So if this topic interests you, join us on Friday night. Yeah, it's very going to be a lot of fun. We will enjoy it very much. So make sure you join us, right? Well, today my segment has to do with Paul the Apostle's risky escape from the city of Damascus, as recorded in both Acts chapter 9 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. And this escape involved being lowered in a basket from a window in the wall to escape the hands of those who wanted to kill him. Well, what's interesting about this is that not only do escapes like this go back to very ancient times, even long before Paul, but baskets like this have continued to have been put into use in our modern age. Check it out. The Reverend James Freeman in his 1874 classic work, Manners and Customs of the Bible, documented how when a certain Professor Hackett was in Damascus, he saw a couple of men come to the top of the wall with a basket full of rubbish, which they emptied over the wall. A friend said to him, such a basket the people use for every sort of thing. If they're digging a well and wish to send a man down into it, they put him into such a basket. And that those who aided the Apostle Paul's escape should have used a basket for the purpose was entirely natural, according to the present customs of the country. Judging from what is done now, it is the only sort of vehicle in which men would be apt to think under such circumstances. Such baskets were round and shallow and likely resembled the same one the Apostle slipped away in. The Bible records this getaway in Acts chapter 9, verse 25, as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. The Jews had conspired to kill the apostle, so he was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall, rather than leaving through the city gates of Damascus. This was possible since the wall of a house was sometimes also a portion of the city wall, and thus windows may be placed in the wall through which access may be had to the region outside of the city. The floor of an upper story sometimes extends beyond the wall, giving an opportunity for a bay window projecting outside the wall. Either of these methods would afford a chance to escape from the city without passing through the gates. Interestingly, these sorts of escapes took place even long before the time of Paul. In fact, at least a few of God's people were saved in like manner. For instance, thousands of years earlier in the time of Joshua, the Canaanite prostitute Rahab had provided two Israelite spies a similar means of escape from the city of Jericho. David also was saved in this way. As 1 Samuel chapter 19 records, King Saul was threatening his life, so Michal, his wife, let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. The fact that a modern Middle East custom is directly connected to those practices recorded in the Bible should not surprise us for the Bible is an accurate record of exactly what took place. But more than this, and as the Apostle Paul himself declared, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as I mentioned in the segment, the Bible records real history. These are real people, real places and real events. 
So we shouldn't be surprised that we find connections both in the past and the present. The Bible, after all, is true because it is the Word of God. It claims that of itself more than 3,000 times, and no one has ever been able to overturn that claim. And there's so much history behind the Bible, or what we call the Word of God. People have tried to disclaim it for years. They haven't been able to. And I want to tell you that uh, if, and I, I, I've talked to many of them, but if you talk to a publisher, they'll say, well, if we're going to start a company, then we need to publish the Bible because we, we're guaranteed to sell that book, the most published book in the world. And uh, that, that's fascinating. If only we could get people to read it, right? It's kind of the, <laughs> yeah. least, the least read bestseller, I would say. <laughs> yes, that's what it seems like. Yeah. And not only to read it, but to actually put it into action. That's yes. true. Right? Yeah. That's the hardest part. And that is the hardest <laughs> yeah. part. Yeah. And it's called the, the book change. of life, and yet we don't read it. So we should read the book of life because mm -hmm. we have life. So. Very that's why we're so passionate about it here. And you, you know, you often open the program by saying this is our 31st year through the Bible. And you know what? We're still learning. Mm -hmm. We are still learning and, and we will until we are up Absolutely. in glory with the Lord. We will still learn. <laughs> yes. Okay. Friday. I want to talk about Friday because this Friday, uh, November 26th from 7 to 9 p.m., we are hosting a free live event. We will be going live on our YouTube channel, Bible Discovery TV YouTube channel, and also on our Bible Discovery TV Facebook page. Our topic of discussion is prayer, worship, and warfare. So in the Bible, in our Christian lives, in the church, all of that good stuff. We will also be interacting with you because it's live. So if you're there on YouTube or on Facebook, um, you can be in the chat and asking us questions, commenting, and we'll be responding directly to you as well. So it's going to be a good night, I think. So if you're interested in prayer, worship, and warfare, this Friday, 7 to 9 p.m. And I'm looking forward to that because we will take questions from people, Church 365. That is excellent. Okay, Jan. Yes, 2 Corinthians, our reading for today, our assigned reading was 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13. On today's program, we zeroed in on chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, but I want to bring it down a little bit farther where Paul loves the church, and, and this is the church of the Corinthians, and when we talk about the church, we mean the people as individuals and as a body. All right, so Paul is saying in verse 14, he begins, Now, for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Because sometimes when you hear the truth, the truth hurts. But be that as it may, Paul goes on, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? And he talks about Titus. But then later on in verse 20, he says, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. And you think, well, my goodness, Paul, you're writing to the church of the Corinthians. And 
this is what you're hoping that you don't find. These things shouldn't be within the body of believers. And yet, when we as human beings get our eyes off the Lord, when we don't know his word, when we're just reading it, but not applying it in our lives, thinking, well, that's for you and not for me. That's what we have to do. We have to reflect on who we are and what our personal relationship is with God. And that's possible through Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul is talking about here, that we used to, before we gave our lives to Christ, those things were in our life. But now that we've surrendered ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be far away from this. Now, in the last several days, every now and again, I've been reading a song from a little songbook that I found on the shelf in my desk. And this one is called The Beauty of Jesus. And I thought, you know, it's just a short little chorus written by T.M. Jones. And maybe you heard it long ago. And I thought, you know, if, if all of us as believers would make this our prayer and our song, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Wow. I, I, I never sang that song, but I'd like to learn that song. Right? Let, let me read it one more time. I've got a, a little, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. So all of these things that Paul didn't want to see in the church, it's Jesus Christ who refines us when we allow him to do so. As we come to the prayer time today, I want to remind you that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 3.30 to 4.30, I've been telling you a lot about this. I want to encourage you to come and join us sometime. We're live on Facebook, on YouTube, and of course, on Bible Discovery TV. You can chat with us and everything else, and we'll pray for you. But today we need to pray, and let's pray this way. Lord, I want to thank you for your strength, not my strength, your strength. 
I want to thank you for your grace in my life. In fact, you're all I need.